Lenten season, we've been looking at these stories of Jesus. We've been looking at these parables that he tells as a way of understanding, first and foremost, who God is, but then what it means to be a part of the story that God is writing in history. And so this morning, as we are joining Jesus in that Palm Sunday procession, as we're entering into Jerusalem with him, we want to look at yet one more story in which he talks about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of it. It's the story that we call the Pharisee and the tax collector. We heard it read just a moment ago, but I think it's one thing to have something read, and it's another thing to see it performed. And so I want to take a moment now to look at this story one more time. So watch this along with me. God blessed the tax collector, not the Pharisee. So we look at that story this morning. I want to ask a question. So you think about these two men, these two men who've come into the temple to pray, who are you in this story? Which one of them do you most connect with? Which one of them do you look down upon? Which one do you wrestle with and where do you see yourself? That's really the question that we want to be asking because every time Jesus tells a story, every time he speaks a parable, he speaks it as a way of not only addressing his audience, but addressing us as well. And so I think as we take a a moment now to actually dive deep and look at the story in detail, it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us this morning. So can we take a moment now and pray? Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks that you do indeed invite us here into this time to pray, to study your word, to hear you speak. And so, Lord, we ask that as we come before this story, that you would open our hearts and our minds that we might understand it, that we might receive it, that we might be transformed by it. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would indeed be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the things that's important to keep in mind anytime we study one of the parables of Jesus is making sure that we understand the context. Because who Jesus' audience is and the circumstances in which he tells the story tell us quite a lot about what the central point and teaching of the story is. And with this parable in particular, um, the writer Luke makes it uh, especially obvious what Jesus is talking about, the lesson he desires to teach. Because one of the things that he says in Luke 18, verse nine, when he's setting up the stories, he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. See, Jesus is uh, among some people who think pretty highly of themselves, who consider themselves righteous. And so it's to them that he's speaking this story. It's to them, and those are the ones that we should have in mind as we're looking at, the, at this parable together. Now, this word righteous and righteousness actually is, is kind of an outdated word. I mean, in our culture today, when we think of the word term righteous or righteousness, we often think of it in pretty negative terms as in self-righteousness, right? People who look down on others. I mean, I actually really like this cartoon. It says, you were a believer, yes, but you skipped the not being a jerk about it part. But when we think of righteousness, that's typically what we think of. When somebody says righteous, we typically think of people who think that they're better than others, the self-righteous, people who do everything right, who do everything perfectly, and as a result, look down on those who don't quite measure up. 
In fact, if you just do a simple Google search for the word righteous, that's actually the definition that you're pretty much given. I mean, the, the number one definition is of uh, righteous is an adjective describing a person who's morally right or justifiable and virtuous. He is a good, righteous man, I am sure. But the question that I want to ask this morning, the question we have to ask every time we study something from the scriptures is, is that correct? Is that really what Jesus means and how the gospel writers understand what it means to be righteous? Because we have quite a bit of distance between us and them in terms of uh, cultural understanding, in terms of religious understanding. And so we want to ask ourselves, is this correct? Is this understanding of righteousness correct? And what we see is if you go back and you actually study the scriptures, you find that the word righteousness actually has a very, very different meaning. That it originally comes from this Hebrew word, tzedakah. And what, what that means is simply this. It says righteousness implies a correct relationship to the will of God, which is particularly expressed and interpreted by Israel's covenant with him. Righteousness implies a correct relationship to the will of God. You see, at the heart of righteousness is not necessarily right behavior, but rather right relationship. That's how they understood righteousness. And so the question that really is at the heart of this parable is what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? What does it mean to have right relationship to the will of God? That really is the central question that we have to wrestle with as we take a closer look at this story. So this morning, let's take a closer look, and let's, let's do so by looking at the various characters that we find in this tale. Jesus tells the story of two men who went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. See, the Pharisees were the morally right people of their day. These were the guys who did everything perfectly according to the will of God. They lived out all of God's laws. They made prayer a priority. They were the super religious, the super moral, the super, quote, righteous of their day. In fact, they were the ones that everybody else looked up to in this very religious society. Wow, to be a Pharisee. To be someone who takes the will of God so seriously that it would shape their entire life was, was something that many people aspired to. And Jesus tells us that one of the people who goes to pray is a Pharisee, but what we see about the Pharisee is quickly revealed in how he prays. Notice his prayer. It says, The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, if you are a first-century Jewish person listening to Jesus tell this parable, something would immediately strike you about the Pharisees' prayer, something that we often miss. And that is this. His prayer actually doesn't match the standards of devotion for the day. You see, typical Hebrew prayers in Jesus' day contained at least one of three elements. They either included a confession of sin, thanksgiving for blessings received from God, or prayers. Prayers on behalf of other people or on behalf of, of oneself. So take a look at the Pharisee's prayer for just a moment. Where do we see those elements in his prayer? They're not there at all. They're actually entirely lacking. 
Yes, he references God, but notice the rest of the prayer. I thank you that I'm not like all these other people. You know, these robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I have. There's no confession of sin there. There's no prayer on behalf of other people. There's no request for God's help. You see, the Pharisee, though he goes to the right place to pray, and though he dire uh, directs his prayer to the right person, everything else about it is self-centered. Everything else about it is self-directed. And if righteousness is really about having a right relationship, the question we have to ask when we look at the Pharisee's prayer is, who does he have a relationship to? Because it seems like he has a relationship to no one. In fact, this is emphasized by what Jesus says, the Pharisee stood by himself. He stood apart from the other crowds of people who had gone there to pray. He stands alone in isolated confidence, and there is no relationship whatsoever. Now, it would be easy to look down on the Pharisee and say, oh, what a self-centered person. That surely this can't be righteousness. I mean, I don't, I don't relate to this Pharisee at all. In fact, maybe the prayer that you, the thing that you thought when I asked that question, who are you in this story, maybe the first thought you had was, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this Pharisee. <laughs> but if that's your prayer, or if that's your thought, then I would say that you and this Pharisee have a lot more in common than you might think. Because the reality is, is that all of us, myself included, are tempted to do the very same thing. We're tempted to do the same thing when we take things like reading our Bible, or praying, or giving generously, or having a, a, a good and God-pleasing family with well-adjusted children, or that we go out into our communities to serve, and we do all these things, but we do it from an attitude of, this gets me in with God. And shame on anybody else who doesn't do likewise. Because you see, the truth is, is that while prayer and reading scripture and having a healthy family that comes to church together and giving generously, while these are all indeed good things when they're done as a kind of merit badge, as a way of stating our, of demonstrating our status before God and before others, they become true, something truly monstrous. Because what they reveal is they reveal that our heart is more about ourselves and what we've achieved than really about being close to the God that we love. In fact, this is something that God speaks about constantly throughout the scriptures. In fact, in the prophet Isaiah, he says it this way. He says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, like this Pharisee, it is possible. It's possible to go through life doing all the religiously right things for the wrong reasons. And if at our core we're treating these religious behaviors as though they are merit badges in the eyes of God, it ends up causing something that festers within us and eventually comes out in how we think about God, ourselves, and about others. It can poison our very relationship with the one who made us. So much so that prayer now becomes a performance piece. That our relationships with others become really more about comparison and finger pointing. And that ultimately, even in our relationship with God, we don't think that we need him. And we treat ourselves as though we are self-made 
people. The way we see it emerging is when we talk about what it means to, to be a Christian. I can't tell you how many people would say, oh yeah, you know, I'm a churchgoer, I'm a Christian, and, and then I ask them, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I should do good things and that I should be a good person and that, you know, because I'm such a good person that eventually I'll go to heaven to be with God. No, that's not, the, that's not what Jesus is saying in this story. It's not about you and saving yourself. And the moment we think it's about us and our performance, it unleashes all of these terrible things in our lives. In fact, I love how Timothy Keller says it in his book, Prodigal God. This is what he says. He says, if you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. You see, the Pharisee ultimately has no use for God. No use whatsoever because he believes in his heart that it's his own merit, it's his own good works, it's his own moral and spiritual performance that get him in with the Lord. And in that moment, you are serving as your own Messiah. We are serving as our own salvation. But what about the other person who goes to pray? The other character is the tax collector, and we find him in the temple praying as well. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, one of the things that I find interesting about how we often translate the, Pharisee, uh, the tax collector's prayer is that we actually get it kind of wrong. It's not bad, this idea, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But if you actually look at, at the Greek and what's being said there, this is really what the, the tax collector is praying. He says, God, make an atonement for me, a sinner. God, make an atonement for me, a sinner. What does he mean by, by praying that? Well, I want you to imagine the, the scene for just a moment. This tax collector has gone up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. And one of the things that often happens in the temple in Jerusalem is that people bring sacrifices. Sacrifices as a way of asking for forgiveness for their sins, of acknowledging that they're not perfect. Unlike the Pharisee, coming and bringing a sacrifice because they know that they've fallen short of God and his glory, that they need to be forgiven. And so they bring a sacrifice and offering as a way of acknowledging, I deserve death for what I've done against God. And so this sacrifice is there to take my place. And so here is this tax collector coming into the temple, seeing them performing these sacrifices in order that the sins of the people of Israel might be atoned for, might be forgiven. And as he watches the sacrifices being done, and as he sees the priests coming forward and saying, because of this sacrifice, the sins of the people have been forgiven, the Pharisee with tears in his eyes says, it's not enough. It's not enough for me. How can the blood of a lamb atone for me? How can the blood of an animal take my place? I who have done so wrong. Lord, make an atonement that's good enough for me, a sinner. That's his prayer. It's the acknowledgement that I know at the end of the day, the blood of rams and of goats and of sheep isn't enough 
because I know that I don't deserve to stand in the presence of God. Lord, make an atonement for me. So he can't even lift his eyes to heaven. He can't even look up at the people around him. He stands far off by himself. He stands far off in isolated despair. He's crushed by the weight of his sin. He's crushed by the acknowledgement that in the presence of a perfect and holy God, no human being can stand. And being acutely aware of that, he cries out, Lord, make an atonement for me. See, at the beginning of this message, I asked the question, who are you in this story? Which of these two people do you most identify with? Is it the proud person who thinks because you're a member in good standing in the church, all is well with the Lord? Or are you a crushed person who says, I don't even know why I'm here because I know that I don't deserve to be. And if people really knew what was going on in my life, they wouldn't want it to have anything to do with me either. See, wherever you fall in that spectrum, what Jesus wants you to know and to understand is that these two men both get something wrong. You see, they both get something wrong because they both fail to understand what a right relationship with God is actually all about. Both the proud person and the crushed person are comparing themselves to other people. They believe that, that their relationship with God depended on what they did. They thought that their behavior was what mattered most, which is why Jesus says to both the proud person and the crushed person these interesting words. That at the end of his parable, he says, I tell you that the tax collector went down to his house made righteous rather than the other one. See, that, that video doesn't quite get it right. He, the, the, guy, the actor playing Jesus says, oh, God blessed the tax collector, not the Pharisee. But that's not really what Jesus says. What Jesus says is the tax collector went down to his home made righteous. Because what Jesus is saying is that in order to have a right relationship with God, it isn't about what you do. It's rather about what he freely gives. Jesus says that righteousness is not something you earn. Righteousness is a gift that God gives. In fact, in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus puts it so clearly. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, righteousness is not about us and our character. It's about God and his character. Righteousness is not about us and what we do. It's rather about God and what he has done. Because when the tax collector comes and he says, Lord, make an atonement for me. Make a sacrifice that can cover over all things. What Jesus ultimately points us to is himself. Because later on in that holy week, Jesus Christ would go to the cross so that all people might look at him and say with, the, with John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, what God has done for us is that yes, we, are, we don't deserve to stand in his presence and yet he makes us righteous. He provides a sacrifice that is enough. A sacrifice that covers over all sin. 
A sacrifice that, that, is, that lets us know that we are indeed loved and forgiven by God. That's the gift that Jesus provides. You see, the right place to look is not to compare ourselves to other people. That's one of the things that the tax collector and the Pharisee get wrong. They're comparing themselves to other people. Rather, it's to look to God. Because when we look to God, what happens is that the proud are humbled. We realize, I don't deserve to stand in his presence, that he is perfect and holy and I could never measure up. But what we also see is what Jesus says at the end of the parable is that the humble will be exalted. Because when we look to God, what we see is his unending love, his willingness to come into this world for people who know that they're not righteous and to say, that's okay because I have made you righteous. To come to people who've fallen short and to say, I love you and I forgive you. To come to a people who say, I don't deserve to stand in God's presence and say, but God desires to have you with him for all time. And so Christ goes joyfully and willingly to Jerusalem in order to pay the price that no one else could pay so that they might know that they are forgiven and made righteous in the eyes of God. Not because of their performance, but because it's a free gift. Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem He enters those gates to shouts of Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, but not as a conquering king, but as a servant king, as the ultimate sacrifice who's willing to lay down his life for his people, that they might know that they are forgiven and set free to make us righteous. And if there's one lesson that we should take from this parable is that that is the good news that we get to share with other people. There are a lot of funny ideas about what it means to be a religious person, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have a relationship with God in our world today. There are a lot of silly ideas and it's all usually based around comparing ourselves to others or thinking that it's all on our shoulders and our own performance. And one of the gifts that we get to give is go out into the world and say, no, it's not about your performance. It's not about what you've done or failed to do. It's rather about the God who loves you, who came for you, who died for you, and who rose again so that you can have a relationship with him. This is a message for everybody. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. This is what he says. He says, we are Christ's messengers. God is using us to call to people. So we are standing here for Christ, begging people, come back to God. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. That's what it means to have a right relationship with God. It's to look to him for everything. To acknowledge that yes, all of us, myself included, have fallen short of your glory, but then to rejoice in the knowledge that all of us are freely justified, made righteous through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. That's the message we get to share. That's the message that we are sent with this week. So my prayer for us is that our Holy Week would be a week in which we point people to the storyteller. That we point people to the the one who came, who died, and who rose again. That they too might see that God's invitation to come is available to all. That it's a gift freely given because he was willing to gladly pay it. So that we might all know that we are indeed forgiven and made righteous. 
So it's in response to that that I want us to praise God, to give thanks to him for what he has done. And so I invite you now to stand as we sing this hymn in response to God's gracious gifts to us. Let's sing together.